brought to you by CGTN Europe. I usually clean every day, usually the dust and close to the windows is the worst problem because, you know, it just it usually comes out really black. If you dust it every day, you get black every day, <laughs> black dust. And I think that that really affects the respiratory problems that we have. Marina is a married mom of two young children. For four years now, she's lived in an apartment block in Brazil's biggest city. When we came up to Sao Paulo, we did suffer a little bit. The first year we got very sick, like all of my kids and even the adults. So the first year was really hard. My son has a problem with allergies, some blood on the sheets. For her family, like most in Sao Paulo, migraines, breathing problems and even nosebleeds are as much a part of everyday life as the constant dusting and cleaning. It's become almost accepted in a city municipality of 12 million with almost one car for every two people. But then in late March, there was an unexpected interruption. So once the government declared the lockdown, it started getting clearer, the skies. We, we were able to see more. We could see colors, you know, at, at sunset. It was just at sundown as well. We didn't really get sick this year. No one did. The problems are bad in Sao Paulo because the city grew fast with little planning. The most vulnerable people were placed in far-flung neighborhoods a long way from the center. So a large population lives on the outskirts. Our latest study shows that people in Sao Paulo spend an average of two hours and 30 minutes to commute. Jorge Abrajo is from Sao Paulo's Sustainable Cities Institute, which lobbies on pollution and climate change. He claims that before COVID, environmental problems in Brazil's cities were reaching tipping point. Children with respiratory problems are very common. One survey suggests that over 50% of the population suffers from breathing difficulties. Cars are a serious problem. But I would say that it's not the only problem. It's a combination of cars with public transport, buses using diesel, which produces fine particles. That combination means Sao Paulo has over 4,500 deaths per year due to respiratory problems. That's approximately 13 deaths per day. The World Health Organization claims that globally, 7 million people are dying each year from illnesses linked to air pollution. More than 80% of people living in cities like Sao Paulo are exposed to harmful levels of pollutants. The landmark 2015 Paris Climate Agreement committed nations to cutting carbon and capping the rise in global temperatures. But the drastic fall in greenhouse gases during lockdown caught even climate scientists by surprise. At the peak of the global lockdown early April, uh, the global emissions decreased by 17% during that day compared to an average day uh, in year 2019. So this is in fact a huge drop in carbon emissions uh, during that time. Corinne Lequare is Professor of Climate Change Science at the University of East Anglia and has tracked the daily change in carbon dioxide emissions since lockdown began in March, when factories and workplaces closed and energy demand slumped. The changes at the country level were even bigger 
than the global change. Then the decrease was 17% globally, 30% at countries under full lockdown. And what we saw this year is initially China went under full lockdown, but then in March, we saw most of Europe, the US, Japan, Russia, some of Australia, all big emitters went under full lockdown for some period. And all that converged in early April, and that's when we had the peak decrease in global emissions. The climate debate was already reaching new heights before the pandemic. But after the events of recent months, campaigners have sensed a unique opportunity to start a transformation in which the health of both people and the planet go hand in hand as the COVID recovery begins. Well, first of all, I think it's really important that we recognize that the COVID-19 crisis is a crisis that is linked to environmental degradation in that the closeness between humans and animals has gotten a bigger concern. And uh, if we're not careful uh, with climate change and uh, increasing temperatures, uh, we're very likely to see many diseases that were considered under control, like malaria, um, spreading again. Miranda Schroes is Professor of Environmental and Climate Policy at the Technical University of Munich. She believes COVID may be challenging some of the most persistent obstacles to cutting greenhouse gases. The shift away from driving to work and digital technologies so that we're communicating much, much more now digitally. We can reduce the amount of people who need to be on the roads. And the positive impacts there are, are very big because it's reducing not only energy use, but it's reducing the demand to build yet more roads. It's reducing the need for expansion of other kinds of transportation. It's the one area in the climate field where we've seen very little progress until now. While the 2008 global financial crisis saw a similar drop in greenhouse gas emissions to that during COVID, the situation quickly rebounded, with countries like India and South Korea seeing a big jump in their carbon output. Now, hopes are higher. Well, I think what's different this time is um, the, the speed and the scale at which uh, the health problems were associated with COVID. And so um, we really haven't seen this kind of uh, very rapid slowdown in use of fossil fuels before. And that's also a really positive development because coal is one of the most polluting forms of fossil fuels that we have right now. Those with chronic pulmonary and heart diseases along with children are suffering the most from this unprecedented air pollution. But the picture is complex. Across Europe, the number of deaths from air pollution has been falling for decades. But 90% of people in urban areas still breathe in hazardous levels of toxins daily. And as CGTN's Alyosha Milenkovic reported from Serbia in January, its hotspots, mostly in the countries of the former Eastern Bloc, where the problem remains critical. The situation is even worse in the Bosnian capital, Sarajevo, where the scale of the air pollution went almost off the charts. During the winter time, it's uh, living in Poland is uh, really hard when it comes to air pollution. You can see people wearing uh, dustproof masks, and it's not because of uh, pandemic, but it's because of uh, air pollution. 
sometimes even in extreme cases children are not going to schools we can compare it to like uh, Delhi or Beijing Magdalena Kozlowska is from the action group Polish Smog Alert Poland is one of the biggest carbon producers in the EU with daily emissions frequently above safety limits but even here the lockdown saw a remarkable turnaround Well, looking at the maps of Europe and air pollution in Europe, I saw on Twitter people were surprised why Poland is still red or violet levels of those pollutants were really high in Poland in comparison to Western Europe. But now it's the reverse. So now when people show the maps and you look at Poland, It's greener, I'm not saying it's green, but it's greener than uh, than Western Europe because our main contributor is now mostly off, that is the domestic heating. So it was precisely Poland's heavy dependence on fossil fuels that brought about a dramatic improvement when consumption was put on hold. But with cheap brown coal central to Poland's economy, Polish Smog Alert says developing alternative energy sources is a question of changing hearts as well as minds. The EU has already decided to allocate the money uh, for this type of change, the so-called green way. And we see that all politicians from left to right and right to left seem to, to acknowledge the problem and the necessity of, of this change. But it's a kind of also a mining culture. Many people for generations have been working in the mine industry. So it's a big group of, of people and the politicians seem to be afraid to touch this issue. Elsewhere in the world, there are hopes that COVID may have handed less developed countries an unexpected advantage. Here's Corinne Lequare again. In Africa, because the emissions are a lot lower in Africa on average, so the effect on the emissions was, of course, a lot smaller. Also, the biggest um, sector that is affected by lockdown is really transport. And in Africa, there's already a lot of public transport use. Everybody knows that the current development model that prevails in Africa, but also all over the world, is deeply unsustainable for environmental reasons. It is true that Africa has been quite dependent on commodities exports. Uh, we have 35 countries in Africa that are in the higher dependency category when it comes to uh, the amount of exports that depend on commodities which is about 80% or more. So this is really tragic, and it's basically a colonial model that has not been changed since. Carlos Lopez is professor at the Mandela School of Public Governance at the University of Cape Town. He says Africa, like much of the developing world, could be on the cusp of long-term environmental change post-COVID, if the right policies are put in place. What we need is a certain type of industrialization. And because of the imperatives of environment today, that industrialization has to be a green industrialization. It is possible because more than 60% of the African households don't have reliable and affordable electricity, but we are going to provide them with this electricity at a time where renewable energy 
prices are very competitive and actually are a better investment than fossil fuels. The virus oil prices suffered a historic collapse late Sunday after Saudi Arabia shocked the market by launching a price war against one-time ally Russia. Oil prices plunged into negative territory. The price settled at, get this, negative $37 per barrel, which is down 305%. Crude oil prices are collapsing, and uh, we may say terms like that frequently, but not uh, for the types of things that we've seen like this. WTI this morning down more than 35%. This is for this morning, WTI. The lockdown has seen world oil prices crashing and U.S. oil futures turning negative for the first time since the Second World War. But experts agree that if the changes seen during the COVID lockdown are to be more than a temporary blip, a long-term commitment by governments to clean energy and green transport is needed. But there are signs that COVID may be accelerating a change in energy consumption that was underway even before the pandemic broke out. We see that uh, with an earlier than uh, previously forecasted peak in oil and gas demand, the oil and gas industry needs to prepare themselves for a situation where demand is not increasing anymore, but is flat and ultimately declining. Svera Alvik is director of the Energy Transition Programme at the risk analyst's DNV GL Group in Oslo. The group claims that global energy use is set to fall by 8% overall by the mid-century, with huge implications for providers. In addition to the direct effects of uh, economic impact, we are putting in lasting effects on different travel habits, different commuting habits, and impacts the need for both aviation, for uh, road transport, and for construction of office buildings, for example. So these effects come on top of the economic impact and gives us lower energy use in many key sectors. Top oil exporter Saudi Arabia is planning to make a gradual transition to become a global hub of renewable energy. That was the word from... The world has made advances that exceeded even the most optimistic projections. The message hasn't been lost on the big oil-producing nations themselves. Despite the collapse in prices, Saudi Arabia is selling its oil stockpiles at a discount, while announcing plans to produce half of its electricity from renewables by 2050. And last year, Norway's trillion-dollar sovereign wealth fund said that it was pulling out of oil and gas investments completely and seeking greener alternatives. And the main reason for that is that operating renewable plants is free. It only uh, construction costs, they virtually have zero operating costs. And second, we see that the reduced uh, price and increased volatility of fossil fuels makes this a more high risk investment. These industries will have to pay a little higher cost of capital. So this also impacts the attractiveness of the fossil fuel industry longer term. However, the fossil fuel lobby and its supporters are mounting a strong defence. They argue that carbon taxes and climate goals may in fact slow growth at a time when the world faces its biggest recession since the 30s. Instead, economies should take advantage of cheap oil prices to promote an infrastructure-based recovery. Well, we're not going to let our oil companies go uh, and get in trouble. It's not their fault that they got hit by 50% less volume in one day. You know, one instant, all of a sudden, these very great companies are employing all these people. So 
Uh, I'm talking to Steve, and, you know, we're, we just saved the airlines. The airlines were having the best year they've ever had. This is not going to be a bailout of shareholders, but this is going to be supporting the national security issue. President Trump and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin hinting at a federal support package for oil giants in the wake of COVID. After the elections in November, U.S. policy could change. Meanwhile, in Europe, the EU's new COVID recovery package has pledged to keep the goal of carbon neutrality by 2050 at its heart. But whichever governments are in power around the world all face the same dilemma. Committing to the investment needed to boost clean energy and renewables or living with the long-term rising costs of fossil fuels. But experts agree that the legacy of COVID has presented a window of change on both sides of the climate debate that's unlikely to be repeated. We could have better health, we could have jobs, and we could tackle climate change at the same time. If that doesn't happen, unfortunately, it does mean that we'll be a lot more vulnerable for future climate crises in the future because the emissions would come back up probably higher than they were in the past. If the policies do not change, 20 years from now, we'll have an almost unsustainable situation in cities like Sao Paulo because we're going to have a vast inequality. And this has a powerful impact on coexistence, of trust between people, of violence. The biggest lesson from the lockdown was that we could all live with less and in a simpler way. We need a city that is socially and environmentally friendly. I think this is the path that both civil society organizations like ours and politicians should be concerned with. It is possible and depends on us all. We need to think much more about how do we take the positive changes out of a really horrific crisis and, and make them longer term positive changes. So 20 years from now, I think we could be much farther than we are towards uh, living in a world of um, climate neutrality and sustainability. Crisis is an opportunity that if we waste it, is really a crime. And that's particularly true when you think of the human costs of COVID-19. That was the last in this series, Notes on a Pandemic from CGTN Europe. But for me, Louise Greenwood, production assistant Catherine Bajikian, and from all of us on the team, thanks for listening.